Welcome to the Health Disparities Podcast, a program of Movement is Life, an initiative working towards health equity and reducing health disparities across race, ethnicity, gender, and geography. I'm Rolf Taylor, the series producer and host for this episode. Our special guest today is health equity and belonging expert, Dwayne Reynolds. He's founder and CEO of Just Health Collective, a wonderful organization whose mission is to guide organizations in creating cultures of belonging, enabling a fair and just opportunity for everyone to achieve optimal health. Dwayne, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited for our listeners to learn about you and the work of the Just Health Collective team. Ralph, thank you so much for having me uh, join you today. I'm really excited about our discussion uh, and look forward to uh, really having great conversation today. Um, I've pulled a few details from your bio. So, for example, you first studied public health and health management at Indiana University, then obtained a Master's of Health Administration from the Ohio State University. So after you got that done, what happened next? You know, I started early on in my career in healthcare administration, uh, actually in organizational development in a large healthcare system in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so I sort of cut my teeth in the healthcare field and learned about um, leadership development and uh, organizational alignment and systemness and uh, culture. So it was a really good foundation for um, the rest of my career. Um, I spent the majority of my time in um, academic medical centers running faculty practices. Um, so dealing with both clinical operations, um, the university book of business, which includes teaching and research. Um, I worked my way up the ladder uh, in, in several academic medical centers. And then I made a move into management consulting. And uh, in that uh, era, I was consulting with health systems and medical groups around anything from vision strategy all the way down to operational tactics and access issues. Um, at the same time, I took on a role leading inclusion and diversity for our internal consulting firm. And so that was really my first time officially accepting a professional role in that space, though I had worked across and been volunteering in various capacities in diversity and inclusion councils and employee resource groups for most of my career. Um, following that, uh, I was recruited to the Institute for Diversity and Health Equity uh, to be the president and CEO of that organization. And um, the organization was really focused on helping hospitals and health systems across the country really understand um, what health equity was about, what diversity, equity, and inclusion is about, and how they begin to transform their organization, looking at best practices that are occurring um, across the nation and really trying to emulate and get uh, organizations moving in that direction uh, to really uh, transform. And then you founded the Just Health Collective. Um, how long ago? Uh, believe it or not, I founded the Just Health Collective in January of 2020, and we officially launched in March of 2020, if you can imagine. I can imagine that's a very interesting year to start a new organization. <laughs> it was. It was one of those things where, you know, of course, you can't. we had no clue the pandemic was coming, but I started in January getting, you know, the back end of the business set up. And 
ultimately I said to myself, well, this is either going to work or it's not going to work, but I have invested a lot of time and I'm passionate about this work. So March, 2020, we went ahead and launched and believe it or not, um, have been very successful since that time, um, really because of the disparities that were raised to a national level with COVID and um, the social unrest uh, due to killing of uh, Black Americans. And, um, you know, the, the two things combined really created a synergy for the type of work that I do, because it's all about going in and helping organizations understand uh, disparities in health inequity and systemic racism in healthcare. You know, the focus of your work at uh, Just Health Collective is accelerating belonging. And that is the key word, I think, that you use, belonging. You define belonging as being at the intersection of three things. Um, firstly, diversity, so the presence of differences. And then equity, the process of addressing disparities. And then inclusion, ensuring um, those that are different and underrepresented feel welcomed and valued. Could you expand on why embracing belonging is the most important thing to emphasize for your organization? Sure. Uh, I think across the market, corporate organizations, nonprofit organizations, people are beginning to understand that belonging is really a concept of ensuring that everyone that is a part of your organization feels valued, feels psychologically safe, feels comfortable to contribute, to challenge the status quo, to help um, ultimately bring innovation into organizations. And so when I think about the term belonging, um, it encompasses both diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are three component parts that ultimately have to be addressed in their uh, individual areas, but then uh, collectively understanding how one part impacts the other. So that is why our organization is intentionally focused on advancing belonging um, and belonging combined with health equity because uh, we are laser focused on ensuring that we create a more just and equitable healthcare system. Something that we've discussed on the podcast before is that when you when you foster that sense of belonging and you build uh, diverse teams, you're um, it's not just the right thing to do. It's also a great way of creating value because actually diverse teams tend to perform better, right? Absolutely, and there are many studies out there that indicate when. Um, organizations, particularly leadership teams, are more diverse, they tend to outperform uh, in terms of financial performance, but they also tend to create environments where uh, employees feel more engaged um, and they're better able to recruit in the market. So, um, you know, I, I think Working on these types of activities, again, is a certainly a, the morally right thing to do, but it also makes good business sense. Something else that uh, I think comes over from your literature is, is this idea about how important it is to be conscious, um, to be intentional, and to take a position of being um, anti-racist in order to achieve belonging. Could you expand on that a little bit? 
we are in this period of awakening within our country and really more broadly the world, uh, particularly related to systemic racism. And our definition of racism and what it is, I think has brought, so a lot of times people will think that racism is just about an individual and that uh, it is the more overt things that happen with individuals. But in reality, when we talk about systemic racism, we're talking about things that may seem very innocuous, um, things that, you know, maybe microaggressions to folks that are in marginalized communities, um, which are just small slights that ultimately contribute to their emotional uh, well-being or lack thereof because of, of those microaggressions. And so, Becoming anti-racist means that we move from a state of being non-racist. So non-racist essentially means that theoretically you will disagree with racism and its tenets, but you're not necessarily taking action to do anything to deconstruct the system of racism. And so we want people to move beyond being non-racist because that means you're passive. Anti-racist means that you are taking action, that you are speaking up when you see something that is occurring that uh, is racist, when you see something that is uh, occurring that might uh, feel innocuous, but in fact, it actually creates uh, an environment where people um, ultimately are affected by the words that people use by the questions that people ask or the assumptions that people make. And so if you thought of this as like a pyramid, you know, at the bottom of the pyramid, there are these very um, innocuous things like um, asking a black person if you can touch their hair or um, assuming that uh, a gay person is promiscuous automatically. So these are small things that form the foundation of what racism is or what bias is. But ultimately those small things eventually add up to the top of the pyramid where you start to see things like hate crimes. You start to see murder, genocide of different marginalized uh, and racial ethnic communities. And so we've got to dismantle the bottom part of that pyramid, so the rest of it falls, and that takes anti-racism. So I think what you're 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 kind of describing is, um, you know, that bottom part of the pyramid. There's a there's a lot of behavior where people are trying to do what's comfortable to them, and quite mm-hmm. often, quite often being in the neutral position feels yeah. more feels more comfortable. But the problem with the neutral position is that very often that's enabling Mm -hmm. racism to be expressed where racism is kind of built into the system. That's right. When you're neutral, it actually means that you are on the side of the oppressor, right? Because you're not actively working against these systems and structures that have been put in place to oppress and, and hold certain groups back from achieving equality and equity that comfortable space 
it keeps people stay in that comfortable space quite often because they feel that if they if they become proactive or they um you know t- they embrace the idea of being anti-racist that that means that they're being political mm-hmm. but it seems like in the the kind of settings that you're talking about where you're looking about where you're looking to um, encourage high performing teams it's not a political act it's actually a positive business act it's a commercial act yeah creating inclusion is not in and of itself political inclusion is about everyone it's about how we all connect as human beings and support and value each other right um unfortunately politics uh or politicians let's say have brought some of these issues into the political spectrum um for their own gain but that's not really what it should be about right we are all here on this planet and we have to get along and uh you know, not always agree, but certainly um, be respectful uh, of one another and our our rights uh, as human beings. So when you, at a more practical level, are going in to help organizations um, embrace these ideas, embrace diversity, embrace belonging, what are you doing? How are you doing that with your with uh, with the people that you're working with? Um, that's a great question. And um, we do it in four different ways. But I'll start by saying we focus on both the internal culture of organizations uh, and the external culture or how they uh, connect with their community, build trust within their community, and ultimately support uh, people getting to optimal health. So there are really four buckets that Just Health Collective focuses on. The first is consulting um, and implementation services. So we can go and do large scale assessments um, and help organizations come up with uh, a prioritized strategic roadmap of uh, actions that they can take over a course of time to help to move their organization forward. The second bucket I would categorize as strategic advisory and coaching services, executive coaching. So sometimes organizations um, really don't know where to start um, and need a a bit of guidance in terms of challenges that they might be facing. Um, Even before they could do an assessment, they need to understand how to get champions on board or how to address communications around these issues. So Uh, We provide strategic advisory services, and along that lines, we can do executive coaching um, using uh, what we call inclusive leader 360 assessment and then coaching a person through the process of transformation, eternal awareness, uh, elimination of bias. The next bucket um, that I would point out is really training, facilitation, and retreats. So we can focus on um, anywhere from the top of the organization at the board and C-suite down to frontline employees and their training around things like unconscious bias, anti-racism, health equity, microaggressions, and the like. The final bucket that we have is a digital engagement community called the Just Health Collective Village. And the village is really meant to be a networking and learning uh, community for professionals um, who are interested in 
furthering their knowledge base around health equity and belonging. Um, and we oftentimes have uh, companies that we work with who will want, um, for instance, their diversity and inclusion council or health equity council or employee resource groups to become a part of the village because there's a lot of shared learning that can occur um, from organization to organization. We have members from across the country. So those are the things that we really do to bring the right type of services to organizations to help in their transformation. You mentioned where companies have diversity and inclusion councils. Um, it seems like there is definitely a very positive trend that more and more organizations are establishing um, diversity councils. And I don't know if anybody's measuring that uh, or charting that to see what's been happening over the you know, recent years and recent decades. But what are your thoughts on how, um, how that is changing? And I guess, I guess what I'm asking is, is this a real movement? Is this a real shift that's taking place in the way you know, corporate entities are looking at uh, diversity and inclusion? I absolutely believe so. Um, you know, diversity inclusion has been a space that has evolved over many years, uh, really starting in corporate America. Um, it was born out of uh, affirmative action, um, but affirmative action uh, really got a backlash uh, because it was seen as unfair. Um, but diversity then became the topic of bringing in you know, different uh, folks who have uh, different demographic characteristics, different educational experience, different race, gender, et cetera. Um, and then we started to focus on, well, if you have diversity, you also need to then think about the environment that you create in order to foster and, and benefit from the diversity that you have. And so that's where inclusion was born out of. And um, of late, we have been talking about equity. So now it is about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which again, we term as belonging, but it is really about thinking about those systems and structures that have created disparities um, in things like pay, uh, disparities in health outcomes, disparities in terms of promotion rates. So figuring out how we dismantle and deconstruct things that are inequitable. Um, and figuring out how we provide the resources and tools and, and, and support structures that are necessary to create equity. Um, so yes, there's been an evolution. Um, I think we are at this very pivotal moment because of the things that happened in 2020, uh, particularly around social unrest. Um, we probably been or are now at a more open opportunity to really accelerate change around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, particularly discussions about racism and what racism has done and continues to do uh, to, uh, to marginalized communities in the United States of America. So um, I'm excited about where we are and I actually think uh, that we are at a different point than we have ever been. Um, and I do see more and more organizations um, hiring diversity and inclusion leaders, hiring health equity leaders, um, forming the councils, as you say, um, both diversity councils, health equity councils, inclusion councils, and also uh, developing uh, 
employee-led resource groups. Um, so I, I, I think we're at an exciting and opportunistic moment to really accelerate and make this a part of the fabric of who we are. I mean, our country is continuing to diversify and at, one, at some point will be majority minority. And so we have got to create organizations that reflect who we are as a country and community. So the pandemic has become one of those um, kind of historic moments. It's gonna be forever embedded in our collective memory 2020, forever referenced maybe as the moment that the world changed in ways that, you know, we don't yet fully understand. And you've mentioned previously that you feel like due to the pandemic, some uncomfortable subjects are now less taboo. And I guess that kind of goes in hand in hand with the, you know, the growth of emphasis and focus on equity, diversity, inclusion within organizations. Um, also these uncomfortable subjects becoming less taboo. So what, what are some of the subjects you think have become less taboo and are now moving into more into the mainstream and, be, and getting discussed more? The, the obvious is, is race and racism, um, a conversation that many people shied away from previously, um, but particularly when we talk about the the killing of black people systemically in our country, um, many organizations are starting to have open dialogue with their employees when the events uh, like this take place. Um, so that, you know, we're not just seeing at our employees as people who show up to work and leave the rest of their life and their emotions at the door, but we're understanding that these major uh, atrocities impact a person holistically. And so the organization has some responsibility in understanding how, you know, their employees might be impacted. And so they're focusing on the wellness, the health of their employees. And so it gives us uh, the opportunity to talk about things like that, how, um, you know, your health and well-being is impacted if you are a person who is a part of the communities that have been targeted, um, or you're a person who just in general doesn't believe that the things that are happening to people uh, are, are should be happening and, and really are fair. So um, companies, again, I think are now taking a, a much more holistic approach and allowing those conversations to occur Whereas previously, um, they would have uh, tried to steer employees away from those types of topics. Um, but the only way we're going to address these things is to actually talk about them um, and not to pretend that they don't exist, but to understand that um, if you're going to make change, you have to actually have to face the issue and move through it, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable the conversation might be. Um, but, you know, the work that we do is to help organizations understand that you can have these conversations in a very respectful um, uh, manner that allows people to express themselves, but also uh, demonstrate empathy, which ultimately is what will drive people forward in, in changing their minds, attitudes and behaviors. So that's kind of overcoming this, um, this tendency 
that we've seen for many, many years where we're not talking about these things, these subjects like structural racism, for example. And then by not talking about it, those circumstances just normalized. So to, to denormalize, you've got to have the conversations. That's right. To me, in some ways, it's as simple as think about if you, uh, you know, have an issue with your family member or have an issue with your spouse or child. Um, if you simply ignore those issues, at some point, it rears its ugly head uh, in some sort of behavior um, because it never got resolved, right? And so if you ignore it, then ultimately it's going to come back to bite you. And we have been ignoring the conversation of racism for over 400 years. Um, we've been doing the same thing over and over, hoping for a different result. It never made sense. So now we have an opportunity to do something different, to face our fears, to understand that we all inherently um, have value and worth as human beings. And that ultimately is what it, it is about. And so in order to honor that, we have to take on these systems and structures and policies um, that create inequity, create oppression. Could you share some examples of where you've worked with organizations and you've seen change take place? Yeah, um, that's probably one of the most rewarding parts of the work that I do. Um, we worked with a large uh, multi-hospital health system. Um, they have probably over 80 hospitals and we work with their senior most executive leadership team, and then uh, a group of identified up-and-comers um, that will lead the system in the future. So about a group of 11, we took them through um, one of our leadership development programs um, that focuses on anti-racism, social justice, and health inequity, um, all wrapped around the concept of inclusive leadership. So what happens is we have several workshops focused on the topics. Then in the in-between, they actually are working with one of our inclusive leadership executive coaches to help them um, debrief, understand, and talk through the things that they heard, um, the feelings that they may have had as a result. And with this particular group, um, it was predominantly white um, with... I think maybe three minorities out of 11, um, maybe 50% women. Um, but yeah, you know, the group itself wasn't extremely diverse at the top of the organization. So it, it meant that we had to have some conversations about things that perhaps they just had no awareness of, um, which also meant then that uh, people who were in these underrepresented minority groups spoke their truth. They shared um, what their life experience was about. We go to a space of vulnerability. We create psychological safety when we're working with these groups. And it becomes this really emotional uh, experience that oftentimes will open people up to empathy. And so at the end of um, our time together with them, what we really brought it back around to was Number one, what is your why? And usually the why for people is they want to leave a better world for their children, their grandchildren. Um, and as leaders of a 
multi-billion dollar healthcare system, they feel responsible to do something different. Um, and, and the change that we saw with them at the end of this was one leader actually standing up and saying, now that we know what we know, we have an obligation to do something different. We can't just stand idly by. Um, we have to transform our organization because it is a part of who we are. Um, it is part of our mission. And so they are now on the journey to doing that. Um, and that was the kickoff of their journey, really working with that leadership team. So that's a lovely quote. Now that we know what we know, what other kind of feedback have you had from people you've worked with who've, who found themselves changing their perspectives? What kind of things do people share with you? Yeah, I do a lot of speaking around the country and then often get feedback surveys afterwards and, and quotes. And um, oftentimes people learn something new, uh, either about systemic racism or about, you know, the statistics around health disparities, the fact that there are 83,000 black and brown lives that are lost each year to health disparities in, in the United States, the fact that there's $57.5 billion annually are lost uh, in, due to direct the direct impact of health disparities. So things like that really begin to, to open up people's minds. And then when we start to talk about you know, racism, uh, non-racist and anti-racist, people, uh, I think, are clamoring for this type of information. So oftentimes, people will be pretty moved in these conversations because it's the first time that they have perhaps heard some of this and then it becomes a first time for them to ask questions and share again in a safe environment. So I like to think that that is their one of their awakening moments as we as I go through these types of workshops, training, uh, speaking engagements. Um, so usually we have people who are just very um, uh, thankful for the experience uh, because it sets them on their journey. So in closing, a couple of things I'd like to ask you to share with us. First of all, your organization, do you have resources that anybody can access to work with these kind of ideas and concepts? Yeah, so the way that our resources are set up are through the Just Health Collective Village. Um, so if uh, companies or, or individuals want to become members of the Just Health Collective Village, um, they could do, do that and have access to a lot of resources, subject matter experts, different types of organizations. Um, we also have a newsletter um, that I write for, I write a column, and then we um, share experiences of our client organizations. Um, and so people can join our newsletter. And all of this, by the way, um, can be accessed at, through our website, which is justhelpcollective.com. That's justhelpcollective.com. So uh, any of the things that I just mentioned can be accessed there. We also, um, we're on social media, so Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, and we I actually do some LinkedIn Live series called um, uh, chats with the chief, a belonging dialogue. So I invite CEOs of organizations or C-suite leaders of organizations to talk about these very issues. And um, if you follow me on LinkedIn um, or follow Just Health Collective on LinkedIn, uh, you'll be able to see when 
when I go live with these folks and I encourage anyone in your audience to, to join those conversations. That's great. And you also have a podcast, right? Yes. Um, I have a podcast with a fellow CEO uh, that works in health equity. Um, her name is Dr. Maria Hernandez, and our podcast is called Centering Health Equity. And uh, the goal is to get folks who are out in the trenches, who are leading organizations, leading these transformational changes, down to you know working on the actual process and policy changes that are happening so that we can stay informed um, and that we can have a space for us to talk and share and grow uh, with one another in, in a podcast format. So finally, a call to action for our listeners. Yeah, so the call to action is, number one, if you haven't started your journey towards anti-racism, please move through any level of discomfort you might have. We need everybody to be involved in the movement towards ending systemic racism. And it will require um, many people, many organizations, much bravery to take on this issue, but it is well overdue. And by tackling this issue, not only will these marginalized communities be impacted and uplifted, but we all will be in a better place. Get involved where you can so that we can really start to impact you know, health equity, educational equity, um, economic equity um, by addressing systemic racism. Wonderful. Really, really um, inspiring call to action. So, Duane, thank you so much for joining us today um, on the Health Disparities Podcast. Really enjoyed the discussion. Um, Rolf, I'd really like to thank you, uh, number one, for the work that you do and the enlightenment that you bring through your podcast. Um, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. And we will uh, we'll share the link um, that you mentioned in the notes to the podcast on our website. So if anybody wants to just check back, um, we'll link to those resources. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Health Disparities Podcast. Um, remember to subscribe, and we will see you next time. <laughs>